Hi, and welcome to um, season 10. We're, we're exploring pricing. And, uh, you know, we've gone through a lot of different elements. Pricing is very interesting. Um, it's just, uh, there's so many different areas and it's so important. So uh, we're going to get into how do you practically price today. I'm Mary Abazia and with me is Tom Spitali and Sean Wellham. And uh, we're all from Impact Planning Group across the world. Um, and Sean, we let's serve this up to you and, and you get this party started. Okay, so we've talked about revenue models, you know, the razor and razor blades model and, and the different ways, the freemium model, if you, if you, if, if you want to hear the full detail, listen to our previous podcast on this. I wanted to move from the, the models itself to the actual physical way that money is exchanged and the structure of pricing, if you like, because there's a lot of different models out there. And many of them are dependent on the type of business that operates them. They're not universally available across all businesses and industries. But what I wanted to do was, was maybe kick around a few of them, because I'm of the view that the more of these specific pricing methods that you understand, the more you can consider them and think, is there any aspect of this that I could bring in to my own business? So I'll, I'll kick off with one and we'll just boot around, see, see where this goes. Airlines and hotels have a, um, a revenue management process where they they pretty much understand the, 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 the value of, of the sorts of demand that they get. The simplest way is think of trying to book an airline ticket during the holidays. You're going to pay a lot of money for that. And even outside of those specific areas, if you book a flight that goes over a weekend, you'll pay a lot less for it because they're trying to attract people that maybe want to travel over a weekend. So more vacationers or, or casual travelers than, than business people who typically don't want to spend a weekend away from home. So there's, there's aspects of understanding the, the demand equation and pricing according to that. Hotels is another one. You know, that, that if you want to stay in a hotel in Vegas, you're either going to pay top dollar because maybe there's a big event on, or if it's quiet in terms of event, there's no world championship fight, there's no big expo, there's a massive surplus of rooms and you can get dirt cheap rooms to stay in Vegas. And it's all about understanding at which point you price based on the demand and more importantly, how you optimize that price because the temptation would be to discount the stuff you haven't used, right? You've only got so wow. many hotels. Well, you know, um, I wanted to, it, it, if you peeled all of that back, there's segmentation right underneath it. And so the cool thing about that is if you're setting the price and you're figuring out those segmentations and where, you know, if, if they are a business travel traveler or a leisure one, or that there's certain, you know, sports fanatic, you can start to unlock that more. And if you're the opposite, if you're on the buying end of it, knowing that you're not in that segment that's happening, you can take advantage of those. Um, one of my favorite pricing models was if, if a can of paint was priced like the airlines. And it's very funny, you know, where, where the guy comes up to the counter with a can of paint and then they, you know, and it said $2 on the shelf, but now it's $5. And, and, you know, as it gets closer to when he's going to buy it, it costs him more. And, you know, and he's going to paint it over the week. He's going to paint his house over the weekend. Well, that'll cost you $10 more. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, you know, it was a nice way to show that there's such a difference in these industries. Tom, what, what's one of your favorite industry pricing models? Well, I, I actually wanted to talk a little bit more, Mary, rather than answer that question, is talk a little bit more about, this is kind of related to segmentation, 
is that it seems like if you're say a B2B business and you're wondering if you can do this demand-based pricing, I think um, the expectations of your customer are really, really important. I mean, if, if you have had a more traditional pricing model in the past and you start to implement a demand-based pricing that's actually quite dynamic, I mean, everybody, has to talk about and, and, and negotiate price increases periodically with their customers. But I'm talking about more like a hotel or an airline model where it's really dynamic and, and, and um, changes really, really quickly. If you ever would do that and you know your customers weren't used to it, it might be pretty difficult to execute on it. However, um, I, I think that there's situations where you can be really explicit about sort of like risk sharing. Again, this might be certain segments, Mary, where people are, are willing um, to engage in that kind of dynamic pricing with you and they want to play the odds, so to speak, right? They're, they're, they're willing to um, risk maybe having to pay a higher price at other times to be able to get an absolute rock bottom price when the demand and supply, so you can maybe implement the demand and supply warrant it. So maybe you can, you know, implement that kind of a pricing approach for people who have said, all right, I'm game, you know, I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to do that. Um, but I, but I do think that that kind of dynamic pricing has to be really explicit. You expect it at the airlines, right? You expect it with hotels, you expect it actually even at the golf course, you know, and, and when you know to expect it, you're, you, you know, you realize sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But if you're buying steel, <laughs> well, maybe steel is, is, is actually something that you would expect. Maybe if you're, you're buying, I don't know, office supplies, <laughs> whatever, if you don't expect it and you see this kind of fluctuation, you wonder what the heck's going on and you look for maybe a, a more of a stable. Uh, I want it. I think you're hitting on something really important is that we're always thinking about the benefits or the values. Um, but when you listen to financial reports, Bloomberg, they always talk about what's the risk factor. And I noticed that we don't talk about risk factors as much in marketing. And yet, if you, if you really understand what a patient, what, you know, what a patient, doctor, you know, healthcare, or wherever your, your customers risks are, maybe that still is the risk is, is that you have overseas suppliers and there's you know the risk of not getting your your inventory or price fluctuations um that that actually can help you figure out how you can use um pricing as a big lever to help them mitigate that risk in some way so i think even especially in the industrial world that's really an interesting way to think about um pricing i think the, the fundamentals of what we call the airline pricing model the revenue management model is really two two parts one is rewarding a degree of, of future certainty. So if someone says, I want to buy a ticket for a flight in September of next year, that's revenue you can pretty much take to the bank. It's a revenue stream in the future and you'll apply a relevant discount for the value of having that certainty. When it's urgent, when someone says, I need to be in Seattle tomorrow, it's like, well, guess what, buddy? You're going to pay for that. Every business or, or many businesses should be able to look at that, that continuum between urgency and pre-planning and maybe offer pricing that rewards the pre-planning, where there's a mutual benefit of future revenue stream certainty for you and a, a good price for the customer. 
and recognize that urgency when someone says, I must have this done, I must get this done by Tuesday. Are you pricing in? Because that urgency is a value to the customer. And as a consequence, we should capture it. And that's the essence, I think, of, of the revenue pricing. I've got another one, price skimming, which always sounds very negative to me, but it, it literally means when you've got a new product, you charge top dollar. And as you, they call it riding down the demand curve. The early adopters will pay more for it. Um, it, it occurred to me, I was looking on Netflix and you've got a choice on Netflix. You can watch movies that are part of your package or you can, you can pay a premium or maybe it was Amazon Prime. One of the services you could pay to rent a more current movie. And I thought that's a great example of skimming. It's like if you really want to see this latest movie that's just finished its, its cinema run, then you can pay and rent it on your TV at home or you can wait and it will be part of the package deal. It will be part of your bundle in maybe six months. And that idea of charging top dollar for those that just can't wait, the early adopters, the inpatient, um, you see it in iPhone, right? You get the new latest model iPhone. Guess what happens to the previous iPhone? It drops in price. If you're willing to stay one behind the, the current iPhone, you'll get a better deal maybe or a cheaper deal. So price skimming is the other one I wanted to kick around. That, that idea, do we see that people leverage that enough, capture that early demand and maximize the returns? I don't know if they do. I mean, I think some, some do. I, I think I see the other tendency sometimes when people are coming out with something new and they want to gain a whole bunch of market share. And so they say, well, let's go out with this new innovative product and let's price it really aggressively and we'll raise the price later. And I know that the three of us would say, well, you know, warning, <laughs> warning, warning, you know, the hardest thing to do in business is to, is, is to raise your, your price. So, um, you know, going in the opposite direction uh, can, be, can be difficult, but I think it, it, in some cases it might be warranted. It just depends on the, you know, the amount of risk that's inherent around the new product, right? Is it, is it something that, um, you know, is, is, is definitely and demonstrably better than what's on the market? Or is it something that people need to be convinced or to trial a while before they know if it's better? I think in those different situations, you might take different stances towards price skimming. But I personally, uh, when I'm advising uh, clients, I'm typically, you know, Sean, going with the ride the wave, you know, start high and ride the wave down because right. it's just really difficult to get more, more price um, from, you know, to, to take price higher later. I have a good example of this. Um, very recently, Biogen just came out with their Alzheimer's um, drug. And Tom, that's a really good example where one doesn't exist. I mean, we know that for decades, companies have been trying to, to cr crack this code and Biogen has in some way, and they're charging $56,000 a year. And there was an uproar, you know, how can you be charging us so much? And I listened to an interview with some of the, the leaders and they just, they number one had a lot of confidence in saying this, this drug is, you know, so important to so many people. And, you know, it's, it's the first of its kind. And we did a lot of research and we need that money to continue that research. So, uh, so they didn't back down at all and they didn't apologize. They said, this is the right price for it. And I thought with that kind of conviction, that's interesting when you do price skim, as you're saying, Sean, and you have something very unique, 
in the market and you're able to get your internal organization to align around that, that's, that's, that's pretty remarkable. I think Lily's next to come out. It'll be interesting to see what their price is relative to this 56,000. I think there's an art to it for, for the majority of businesses that aren't in the, the, the patent protected products, which obviously have a slightly different dynamic. It's still very relevant. But for most people, I think the biggest challenge with price skimming is to is to not annoy the the 10 percent of your early adopter customers, because if they all said, oh, this is a great new piece of software or a great new product and we're paying this launch price and then they see in 12, 18 months that it's maybe 30 percent discount they may well be agreed or thinking like, well, hang on, I want, I want some money back. I want a rebate, which is, which is one of the options. So there's a real art in how you position that and making sure that if you are charging top dollar for the early adopters, that they get some benefits, some exclusivity, some extra source that makes it worth their while because you don't want to have a, um, that's, those are not the sort of customers you want to annoy in the long term. So finding that sweet spot be how you price and how you can justify and rationalize subsequent discounting is, um, is an important consideration as well. I, I've seen something too that's the opposite of that, uh, kind of like a roller coaster where um, companies are trying to get rid of products at the end of its life, um, whether it's you know patent protected or not. And so they, and they can only discount so far, but there's a group of people that are so loyal that they, ha- that they start increasing the price to try to get people to, to move away from it. And in some cases, companies go, we kept raising the price and people kept buying it. So they had to reconsider that maybe there was, you know, a really solid segment that was going to continue to buy it because at any price they were, <laughs> they were not going to stop buying it. So that's kind of that opposite end. It's a challenging experiment, isn't it? Because the only real way that you'll find out if your price increase will cost you huge amounts of volume is to do it, at which point it's a little bit too late. Um, it, it's like you'll, you'll never know until you do it. And it's not always the, the most uh, uh, risk-free way of approaching things. But isn't it funny how often you hear when people don't need the business or are trying to wind down a product line or are trying to move away from a sector and they choose the mechanism of increasing pricing to do it, how often they end up with a more profitable product because there's a core. Back to the segmentation, right? I think all roads lead to segmentation. There's some customers that will just keep paying within a, a range of reason, reasonableness, right? No one's going to... No one's going to go bankrupt to buy your product, but there'll be people that have a higher price tolerance than others. And that's another element of this price skimming that may be, you know, we should think, think through. Yeah. And, and always doing some kind of a, you know, if you don't know, don't commit too much to say, okay, we dropped our price, you know, 30%, but rather we have a, you know, a, an exclusive deal. So you kind of test the waters with a promotional price for a very short period of time to see if you actually are on the right road or not, as opposed to just, you know, significantly right, you know, dropping it. You can't do a special, hey, we got a special deal for you. We're going to charge you 30% more. You can't go that way, but you know, you could always do the promotion deal going down. <laughs> you know what, what, what I, a big pricing mistake, since we're talking about charging like different prices at either different times or different customers, the, the, the one thing that just drives me nuts, because I think it's a terrible practice is um, when companies come out with deals for new customers only. Nothing makes less sense to me. Now, I have to admit my background before I worked with Impact was in you know, customer experience management and, and, and we, we were all into the economics of customer loyalty and how profitable it is to just sell more to existing customers and, 
And, and um, all of that has been proven by people like Frederick Reicheld and, and, and others that the economics of that is great. So that when somebody comes out with um, you know, a discount for new customers only, uh, I, I know personally that makes me really mad. I don't know about you guys. If I'm an existing customer, it makes me mad that I can't get the same deal after I've demonstrated loyalty the, to the. The company. key is this is this is the the reality, right? Versus the the, the theory. There was an interview I saw a while ago with a, a boss of one of the cable companies. I, I don't know which one it was for sure, so I'm not going to mention it. But basically, was asked, you know, how happy are your customers? How 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 much of your content do they enjoy? Do they rate the programs that you put out? And he said, I don't care. All I care about is that they're not so unhappy that they cancel the contract. And of course, reality is people it takes a lot for people to cancel their contract. And that's why things like new discount for, or discounts for new customers work, because if there was a corresponding fall off of existing customers, if people didn't just get annoyed, but canceled their contract or went somewhere else, then it wouldn't happen. It's one of those things where we don't like it to be that way. But economically, it must work or they wouldn't keep doing it. So it's, it's one of those things where it's sort of down to us to, to turn that anger into action or just put up with the consequences of it, because it seems to be pretty prevalent. You know, new customers, extra discount, extra in minutes. Some industries it is. I, it, 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 yeah, I think we're I think with the companies that are benefiting from it, there is a degree of inertia. I mean, they're betting on inertia, right? They're betting on the fact that the people that are loyal customers that aren't getting the deal aren't going to be as your your CEO said, Sean, that you talked about. As long as they're not mad enough to change, I don't I don't care. But yeah. the economics of many of the industries that we deal in, like the B two B industries, the, you know, each individual customer um, and account is worth so much. I mean, the cable business, it's a marginal amount, but in the businesses where it really, really matters, I would never suggest, you know, where, where the, the ticket price or the, the average annual revenues is, is really high, I would never recommend hey, it. I, I agree. I'm, and to be clear, I'm not advocating for that. And I think you're right. It doesn't really affect the businesses that we operate in because the idea of saying, one, I don't care is, is ridiculous and saying, two, I'm going to give discounts to new customers. My existing customers can pay the, you know, that's suicide. It just would not work. It's commercial suicide. Um, but in those situations where you're, you're getting a small amount of revenue from a million different customers, yeah. the, the sad fact is, and it's more of a lament than a support, is you can do that. And people will, will go, I'm so mad. I'm not going to take, oh, a squirrel. And they just offs doing something else. And I'll keep paying the monthly subs. But I do think the CEO should shut his mouth. <laughs> I mean, well, and I think that, I mean why uh, tempt fate like that? You know, and say, I don't, I don't care in the press. I don't care. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times it's because they have pricing power. I mean, the other, that's why pricing, I think is so fascinating. There's so many elements to it. And, you know, the guy was obviously not smart to, to stand up and say that, but, um, but they have tremendous pricing power because you don't have a lot of options often exactly. as to yeah. other cable companies or other garbage collection services, which, by the way, are in the same area of customer satisfaction as cable companies. <laughs> so, um, so it comes down to, you know, how much of a leverage do you have because you're the only game in town or, or um, so anyway, I think we have to wrap this up. But uh, any closing thoughts as we as we go? 
Tom? I would just say that the the um, when you look at pricing models, we haven't covered them all. You've, you've got traditional ones, discounting, two-part tariffs, rebates. You've got uh, price optimization, finding that one price that will maximize your, your contribution given your, your, your capacity and so forth. There's, there's all sorts of things. What I would say is as you look outside of your own business, look at every other business of totally different, of, of, of hotels, of pharmaceuticals, of, of, of leisure, of, of sporting events. Look at how their revenue streams come together. And just ask, how is any aspect of this that I could bring into play? Always be curious about pricing and just say, what could we do differently? And it's not about one-way streets, not about just increasing the bottom line. It's about doing it through making as many people happy as possible, giving good deals to people, and finding where the, the best places are for you to increase your margins. So, so be curious and look outside of your own market. Love it, love it. Um, we hope that uh, you have a few ideas to apply to your business. And we have, what, nine other uh, series. So at any point, if, you're, if you'd like to hear more, uh, please visit us on theaccidentalmarketer.com or anywhere that you get your podcast. So thank you very much.